This is the Behavioral Observations Podcast with Matt Sicoria, session number 47. Welcome to the Behavioral Observations Podcast, stimulating talk for today's behavior analysts. Now here's your host, Matt Sicoria. Hey everyone, it's Matt. Thanks for joining me today in session 47 of the Payroll Observations Podcast. I am joined today by Nick Green. Nick is the CEO of BehaviorFit. You can find out more about him at BehaviorFit.com. And he is a familiar voice to us because he joined us in session 38 where he talked about his contribution to the Next Gen Revolution Summit. But today we have him for a full-length episode. So he and I talk a lot about health and fitness. Uh, I get to learn a lot about things I probably should be doing better. We also take lots of listener questions, so I think there's something here for everyone. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. And I also have a very special announcement to make before we get to Nick's interview. On May 16th, I will be co-hosting a special webinar with Adrian Fitzer of the Applied Behavior Analysis Center. We will be hosting Rich Brooks, who you met back in session 15 of this podcast, to talk about the bare essentials of digital marketing. You know, as it relates to marketing your agency services, there's a lot of pitfalls that uh, that are you know, minds in the minefield, if you were, that are out there. You know, there are things that we can do and things that we shouldn't do. And so Adrian and I are going to cover pr- the ethical aspects of digital marketing. But Rich is then going to take over and talk about some of the things you can do to get your message out there. And this guy is a pro. Again, he is the uh, uh, founder and president of Flight New Media, which is a digital marketing company based out of Portland, Maine. And he's going to present his uh, bare essentials model for uh, putting your best foot forward out there in a digital sense. Uh, the bare essentials model um, involves building an audience or building a website to attract an audience, attracting that audience, retaining them, and then evaluating your marketing metrics. So um, I think you have, if you have any interest in those sorts of things, I think you're really going to have uh, a lot of fun and learn a lot. So it's May 16th. Uh, for more details, uh, I'll have a link to that particular uh, um, webinar offering at behavioralobservations.com forward slash session 47. And you can also go to abacnj.com and then search for webinars by month and check out the month of May and we will be on that list. So uh, Adrian and I are really excited to do this and uh, are really excited to work together to, again, bring um, Rich's wisdom to this webinar series. So. Um, we're also sponsored by Chartlytics. Uh, Chartlytics.com is where you can find more information about them. And what they do is they uh, do a lot of different things. They do a lot of trainings on precision teaching, but they also have developed a really comprehensive uh, digitization, if you will, of the standard acceleration chart. And it really uh, automates all of those processes. Um, I've been enrolled in their ambassador program which is kind of an ongoing cohort tutorial model. So I'm going to be, hopefully by the end of this, a, a, um, a charting ninja. I'm nowhere close to there yet, but hopefully under their tutelage, I will uh, at least approximate that at some level or another, and I will uh, 
kind of chronicle it here from as I learn more about it. So uh, if you're interested in learning more about that, you can go to chartlytics.com. If you are new to precision teaching, you can check out session 38 of the podcast where I interview Rick Cabina, excuse me, 39, I believe. And then um, you can also go to chartlytics.com forward slash Matt. There is a free webinar on precision teaching. There's a free ebook and there's a couple of other goodies there too that you can uh, check out. So Um, I think that's it as far as opening remarks are concerned. So without any further ado, please enjoy this fun conversation I had with Nick Green. All right, Nick Green, welcome back to the Behavioral Observations Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. It's, uh, I'm lucky to be living in sunny Florida right now, so things are great. I'm glad to be back. Very cool. Yeah, I am in uh, northern New Hampshire right now, and it is a balmy uh, 54 degrees. Oh, on... not so bad. February 28th, which is kind of strange, mm-hmm. but uh, I'll, I'll, as much as I like my winter activities here in the Northeast, I will take it for today. So uh, we're enjoying yeah. the sunshine and things like that. So cool. um, what I want to do, I know you came on the podcast a few sessions ago with respect to the episode about the Next Gen Revolution Summit, um, but for those who didn't catch that episode... Uh, let's take a minute to have you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do and things like that. I know you got your fingers in a lot of different uh, pots or yeah. whatever that saying is. But sure, so. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So um, my name is Nick Green. I'm a, a board certified behavior analyst currently right now. I wear multiple hats. So my main job is I'm a full time grad student. Um, I'm finishing up my third year now in the the PhD program at the University of Florida, um, obviously concentrating on uh, behavior analysis. Um, so that's my one hat that I wear. And then the other thing that I do is uh, I founded this company, Behavior Fit, which we'll get into um, a little bit today. And um, yeah, that's kind of my, my general background as of right now. We can discuss more of my history and other things later, of course. So what uh, exactly does Behavior Fit do? Yeah, so Behavior Fit is um, my company that I have just kind of merged my passions of behavior analysis and health. And so my uh, what what I do is work on pro health behaviors using uh, behavioral science. And so I'll I'll work with uh, individuals in a consulting format, targeting things like increasing physical activity or eliminating you know maybe certain types of food or their diet if that's a a meaningful target for them. I've worked with organizations to you know evaluate, hey, are we doing healthy activities that our employees like, dislike, do we need to change things a little bit? Um, through Behavior Fit, I've, you know, it originally started as a blog, um, going back a couple of years now, but I've since then developed various uh, workshops and, you know, given talks in the community. Um, I'm active at the academic conferences. I've traveled to um, work with companies, so um, I do a little bit of everything. Do you have a particular type of company you've worked with? Uh, are there specific types of organizations that seek out your services, or does it run the gamut of you know, what we would see in kind of uh, corporate America? Uh, yeah, so I've um, worked on a couple projects with um, just kind of getting my feelers out there with um, these kind of like tech-based companies and looking at, hey, we've developed this app, for example, it's to help people get active in the workplace and are the data, um, are they bringing forth the actions that we want in the company? 
um, kind of things like that. The company I, I kind of worked with for a while was uh, looking at how to create more physical activity in the workplace. And so I worked with them to help evaluate, like, are what we're doing is effective? Is it what we want? Um, that's kind of been one area I've worked in. I've been working, I'm currently working with one individual right now where she wants to bring more health and wellness kind of initiatives to her company. And, um, you know, with a behavioral approach, I see there's a big opportunity in worksite wellness in general. Um, Cause a lot of the wellness programs, there aren't as many behavioral measures as we would like to see, I think. And so I've kind of tried to fill that gap a little bit and say, Hey, okay, you want healthier companies. You want, employees to engage a little more related to health and wellness what would that look like and so that's a, that's an ongoing project right now so do the tech companies that you work with do they get the quantitative nature of what we do as behavior and do they say oh i get it you can measure this stuff too uh you know i would yeah. think the more science-based or stem-based organizations might have a faster uptake or, or better appreciation perhaps mm-hmm. of, of, of what we do have you yeah. found that? I think in, in general, I mean, they're tech companies. They, they are essentially just data machines. And, um, you know, whether it's looking at click rates and user comments and, you know, employees logging in, I think they have the data part figured out. It's the whole human behavior interaction with the data that <laughs> matters more. And what are those mechanisms? Um, my colleague Triton and I, we've, we talk about this a lot of having like a, there's a, a data deluge out there. So it's kind of like a fire hydrant of data that's always coming at you. And I think the real value that we would have as behavior analysts is I'm kind of diverting the question a little bit, but it's really just figuring out what is that useful bit of data going to be for a company and how can that be tied to, you know, the company's objectives, bottom, bottom line, things like that. Great. Great. So let me ask you a chicken or the egg question. Mm-hmm. What 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 came first? Your interest in behavior analysis or your interest in ah. health and wellness? Yeah, that is a, a fantastic question. So, my story, I guess the chicken and the egg, ABA came first. Okay. And so what that looked like for me was um, that I got started in the field. Um, I graduated. I'll go maybe go into my backstory here. That might yeah yeah, yeah. shine, shine a little shine a little context um, kind of on my on my journey here through behavior fit and being in school. So I graduated from Purdue university just with a, uh, a degree in psychology, had no behavior analysis coursework or, you know, had no idea that the science existed. Uh, the Boilermakers, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. right. Yeah. We, uh, our basketball team is, they're, they're back on the upswing now. So hopefully they'll, they'll win the tournament. If they got any college basketball fans in the crowd. Um, but yeah, I graduated in 2006, so I'm showing my age. I'm getting longer in the tooth. Oh, my um, God. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so psychology, then I, did, I, you know, I, I worked as a mental health co- counselor, uh, liaison type of role, which we didn't really do anything significant. So I moved on from that job. I got into photography, worked in a studio, was in sales and marketing. And then after a while, I thought, you know, I want to do something a little more meaningful with um was my day in my life and um i came across this opportunity to become an aba therapist i think we all <laughs> i think a lot of us have that similar story and i i got my feet wet um in behavior analysis uh being a therapist for about four or five years before i um got into you know 
took my career to a, a, the next level, I suppose, by going into the master's program. But um, yeah, I was fortunate to have some really good mentors. When I got, got into the field, I worked for the Behavior Analysis Center for Autism, uh, BACA in Fishers, Indiana, which um, is run by Dr. Carl Sundberg and his wife, Devin, who also puts on the WEBA conference, which is coming up um, in two weeks, depending on whenever this <laughs> this episode comes out in March. So um, yeah, I was fortunate to start there. And so I progressed eventually through um, learning about the science, like how to be a practitioner first. And then I thought, oh, I want to do something a little more with this. So I found OBM. That took me to FIT down in Melbourne, Florida, which led to me developing um, a thesis idea. And on this whole journey, which I'm kind of describing, I found that um, I wanted to make a change for my own personal health and fitness. And um, I decided to, to make that, that leap. And so I got into, you know, CrossFit and weight training, and that was kind of my flavor of uh, sport and fitness. And um, I've just kind of lined up everything that um, I've been passionate about with ABA, science, organizational behavior management, um, bringing it to the people. And um, that's kind of where I'm at today. So it was ABA first. I was on my own personal journey for fitness. And then I, you know, I needed a master's thesis to graduate. So I said, let's do some I like this kind of sitting stuff, which we can talk about and um, getting people moving in the workplace. And that's, you know, fueled my interest in, you know, workshops and research and, you know, engaging with people online and, you know, all that stuff. So that's that's the general story there. Was there a, a precipitating event that made you focus on this or is it just, hey, I'm not a kid anymore and... You know, I'm just, <laughs> sure. I just was it was you know like I'm just curious how that uh, shift occurred. Uh, you know, I mean, were you into sports or, or a gym rat or anything oh, like that okay. prior to this? Um, this uh, you know. Uh, uh, oh yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, so I did have a history there. Um, so growing up, I played baseball all my life, and then um, played baseball throughout middle school, high school. I ran cross country in the fall to get in, into shape for wrestling. And this is all in high school, so I three sport athlete um, in high school and then in college, you know, no sports there, played intramurals. Um, I kind of did the basic globo gym stuff, do bicep curls, core, stuff like that. Um, and then after college, um, I played like intramural or like pickup soccer, pay to play leagues, which I still do now, but um, I didn't really at the time before I really kind of went full into ABA health and fitness. Um, it wasn't until I kind of made like my own, personal commitment change of like, oh, this is something I, I need to do, not just for like three months, six months, you know, a year. This is something I, I need to do forever when it comes to, you know, being fit and healthy. So um, that kind of, uh, I think the whole, the combination of all those events happening all at once between wanting to make a change in, in my own personal health and fitness, um, getting into, you know, appreciating the science for what it was, picking a topic, being in Florida, all these things all added up together. For me, it was a perfect storm of this is what this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I'm going to do, and um, you know that led that led me to the opportunities of being a PhD student at the University of Florida, where I can study you know what I'm passionate about, and also I've had the flexibility to do this behavior stuff on the side. Awesome. Now, it seems like at the time, and correct me if I'm wrong, at the time in which you kind of made this more 
consistent commitment to, to fitness, I guess. You know, you talk about CrossFit a lot, I guess, and, and yeah. I'm wondering where CrossFit was at the time as a, compared yeah. to where it is now. It seems like it's kind of like everywhere. Mm-hmm. Was it relatively new at that, at that point in time? Yeah, so I've been at that, and this is by no means an ad for CrossFit, but just my, my experience here. Um, that was about four or five years ago, and that was right at the cusp when social media and everything started taking off big time. So I was right kind of early on, right before all that kind of took over. Um, yeah, is that where you're kind of going with that? Yeah, I was just seeing like, you know, were you an early adopter of CrossFit and, you know, oh, as, no. as it relates to, you know, what it's like right now where you can't go on Instagram without seeing someone, mm-hmm. you know, doing sure, their, their yeah. PR deadlift or something yeah, like yeah. that. I know we had so some for- funny... Uh, chats about that on Facebook mm-hmm. a little while ago, but, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, yeah. So if, if you can just kind of compare and contrast kind of where it is now versus, you know, where sure. it was at the time. Um, it's definitely just with, you know, Instagram and social media, there are now individuals out there that can make a full-time living being a sponsored athlete. And that's what they do all day is to post themselves because they have sponsors and they need to show ads and all that stuff. And they have to look, Slim and beautiful, all those things are muscular. Um, so that, you know, I think that in any industry has kind of changed and it was our, you know, that industry was already there. Um, historically, CrossFit's, I think, it's it's only, you know, I think the first affiliate, the first gym, the first box, if you will, opened up in like early 2000, so, um, or right around 2000. So it's, as an industry, it's fairly fairly young and so it's grown obviously just with everything else but it's it's kind of it's had a good foundation for it to explode um to what it is today i see and and on top of that it's a really good methodology that works for a lot of people it has a lot of reinforces in there and it gets results like that that's a big thing that i think a lot of people might might miss you know might might see bad injury reports or things like that but you know what's the risk of not being active um there's always that but you know, if it didn't work, it wouldn't have, you know, turned into the thing it was today or it is today. Well, that that kind of speaks to the next question that just occurred to me is that if you're mm-hmm. doing individual consulting with someone who's looking to get fit, and we yeah. can kind of define get fit at any, in a number of different sure. ways, but yeah. um, is CrossFit one of the, the things that you're more likely to gravitate towards as it relates to an intervention? I guess um, it would depend on their goals, of course, but... Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't prescribe any particular type of exercise program. I choose, you know, that the CrossFit methodology for several reasons. I think it's a well-rounded program. But I mean, ultimately, as you know, if we're if I'm speaking to an audience of you know, primarily like autism and intellectual, you know, disability practitioners out there, it all comes down to what the what the consumer is most interested in changing, whether it's the you know child or parent or guardian so it all comes down to what's what works for them what they like and start measuring behavior from there it's very tricky it's very tricky though that like you know to remain ethical about all these you know the type of work that we do it's like you you have to always pull back on like you can't put your own personal values and um your own personal like preferences onto somebody else it always has to be like what do they want to do i can share what i do like i work out three to four times a week with this style of training and if you like that cool you might be at a different stage of fitness than i than i am or you, you could be more advanced or you know just beginning you know it, everything you know 
that's why that's why we're so well suited to work with a variety of individuals as behavior analysts is that we can meet the individual where they are. I see. And are you able to kind of share any success stories? You know, what what sort of outcomes? Obviously, mm-hmm. speaking in super general generalities, yeah. of course, you know. Um, what, you know, but what 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 sort of outcomes have you been able to achieve, and whether you want to speak it to an individual level or organizational level? Yeah, so um, working with individuals. So there, I had one client that um, uh, wanted to make a change in her diet and exercise habits, and um, a real simple intervention is she had a Fitbit, she didn't wear it. So I said, okay, let's start wearing it. Start taking some baseline data. So just basic compliance with working with somebody um, and following those basic protocols of checking in and updating the data and syncing, like very successful there, just as far as as like a peer compliance, you know, um, target. So, okay, you told me you wanted to work on your physical activity. Okay, we need to take some baseline data. We have to put the device on and then we start looking at, okay, how are you going to be able to meet your, you know, recommended activity, you know, your activity levels based on, excuse me, like what you're interested in doing. So if it's um, you're going from no workouts to two workouts, well, let's start with one and we have to troubleshoot and plan there. Um, And so obviously this type of consulting looks a little different than the discrete trial format at a table (laughs) or in the natural environment. Um, And so just over time, over a couple months, we get to, you know, consistently working out one to two days a week during a particular time versus not at all and increasing regular activity um, as well as, um, you know, Fitbits now. And a lot of people have Fitbits. They have an app update where you need to be active every hour to take a certain amount of steps, which is fantastic. And so we can closely monitor those data and everything's been, you know, trending in the right direction. So that's kind of like a physical activity target. Um, Another one would be uh, decreasing you know, sugar consumption. So that's just something that I, you know, have read up on about. And I think it's kind of common knowledge where it's, okay, excess sugar, processed carbs, that's aren't, <coughs> aren't great for you. But um, this one particular client, we tracked it from, she consumed over 30 sugary sodas. So say it's like a 12 ounce Coke, mm-hmm. um, like 30 in a month. Um, and all the intervention was, you know, checking in, giving feedback about it. Um, and this is over about a three month period where I said, okay, if you want to decrease it, you can, it's up to you. I, just in general, you, sh- you know, the sugar re- recommendation is 36 grams for men a day, 24 for women. And if you drink one Coke, you're over the limit. So I was like, if you want to decrease it, I think it would be a good idea. It's up to you. So on our own, slowly over time, she went from um, having, 30 in a month to um, the chart was perfect. It went to like eight to seven to six. And to where we are now, she's had on the last time I looked at the data, maybe two and a half sugary sodas in, you know, the past 30 days. Whereas when we started, she had 30, which was, you know, it's that, that that in itself is such a transformation. Um, Behaviorally looking at the data and as well, she reported that, you know, she could easily, you know, suck down a, a Coke with no time, but then now, you know, probably about two months ago, she said that um, it would take her a couple hours just to finish one. And so, you know, I'm not a nutritionist or a taste bud expert, but it's like, I think there's something physiologically happening to 
her tastes are changing and you no longer can, you know, respond, you know, you're not responding the same to the, to the similar sugar content and taste. So, um, so you kind of have the, ob the objective and subjective data there that was, you know, I think is great. And she reported that she's feeling better and we work on other targets as well. So those are just kind of two, two examples there. I see. Uh, very cool. And um, what about, uh, I know you wrote, and for folks listening in, um, I'm going to reference some blog posts that Nick has written. And if you want to go to behaviorfit.com, and there's a little tab there that says blog, if I'm not mistaken, that you right. can reference all these things. And I'll have the links in the show notes of this episode as, as well. But I forgot to mention that earlier. So we'll... Um, so some of these questions tie into articles that you've you've written on your site mm -hmm. that are that are fun to read and you know it's good food for thought. Uh, yeah. Pardon the pun, um, <laughs> but I and I really didn't even mean that until I came out of my mouth. Um, you did it. Um, anywho, um, you know the, you had a funny one the other day about uh, you know what I call the too good to be true headlines, but I, I know you had a different <laughs> oh, yeah. way of, of talking about it. You know so. Um, so whenever we think about fitness, we always see these things like online, you know, don't eat this, eat that instead, or, you know, mm -hmm. do this and, you know, lose X amount of body fat or whatever, you know. And so it's, it's kind of a mixture of kind of what looks like, you know, selling snake oil versus overly simplistic recommendations, whether it be for diet or, or exercise routines and things like that. So, mm -hmm. um, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about that particular blog post and, and, and if you could share some of the main points with the yeah. audience, that would be great. Yeah, that's, um, I'm glad you kind of bring this issue up. It's, it's just, uh, you know, we're inundated every day with, regardless of our social media preference, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Google News, we see headlines and it's all this clickbaity type stuff. And I think you described it well. It's like, is it a snake oil thing or people just trying to get me to go to their side or is this really a thing that's just too simplified? And so I think, you know, the real, I wouldn't call it a danger. It just, it just takes a lot of time to figure out research and what is actually going on. And, and just in my humble experience of learning research, cause I've been in school for so long now, I'm like, this is really difficult stuff to grasp and really figure out like what, what the key mechanism is or what's really happening. And then what happens is, um, is that we see these kind of news journalist kind of updates of like, oh, this article was published and now this is a thing. So it's so the article I wrote that came out a week or two ago um, for the February post where um, I just found a headline and then the idea was, oh, if I just drink wine after work, then my brain will be healthier. And I'm just like, this is just missing the point because um, even if it is like, what are, what's going to be the measures that really matter in your life that says, okay, this is making me healthier. This is not, um, at best, you know, these type headlines are like, Oh, your risk will, your, your risk of brain shrinkage or whatever it might be, is going to be better in 40 years. But it's like, how do we know it's going to be a thing? And, um, I kind of conclude that blog referring to the, my January post was like, okay, regardless of whatever health factoid that's out there or the latest finding, it could be a thing. What matters is, is if you actually track that in your life, we all know how hard it is to take regular data and to see behavior change that, you know, that's kind of my, my, my overarching theme with these articles is just focus on one health target. If it's moving more, if it's losing weight, 
focus on one intervention because our days are so crazy and chaotic that, you know, if we can control some of these things, then we can make an accurate statement about whether or not something is healthy. Maybe wine is healthier for you, but it might not be for the next person. And the only sort of way that we can figure that out is if we kind of use our, you know, our single case methodology, which I think is very valuable in this and these type of you know, circumstances to say, okay, uh, you know, I taught you to mend more, you know, in the presence of parent A, you are mending more. In the presence of parent B, you're not mending more. So the same thing with wine. In the presence of wine A, you're losing weight. In the presence of wine B, your brain's better. Like, you know, just take data. That's all I'm asking people to do. And, um, you know, just think more critically about what you're reading because it could set you up for a whole, a whole, you know, you go down a whole rabbit hole of, you know, you make one bad rule, then you make another bad rule on top of that. And then, you know, six months later, you know, you, you are out of shape or you made a bad decision or, you know, it, the outcome could be anything and the data will help us figure out whether or not that's true. Yeah. And another thing that occurs to me when I read those articles, because I click on my fair share of them just to kind of check them out <laughs> and I'll be yeah, honest yeah. with you. And, uh, you know, a lot of them are based on these correlational studies of huge population samples and things like that. And so you're mm -hmm. absolutely right where maybe you know, comparing averages of two groups or some, or maybe right. not even, not, and, and these aren't even experimental designs per se. They're mm -hmm. either, you know, again, uh, quasi experimental or correlational in some regard. And it's not anything that we would look at uh, as acceptable you yeah. know, uh, in terms of research quality and things like that. They might be guideposts for further, you know, or stimuli to, you know, or further discussion or, or inquiry or something like that, but right, yeah, and I mean, and correlational studies are valuable. They help us figure out certain things. And let's say the article I referred to, the whole wine is good for your brain thing, um, maybe it is like correlation, but you still have to take like action on like, okay, let's drink one glass of wine after work for like three weeks to figure out if something changed. Like, you know, there's multiple layers of <laughs> how to critically analyze, you know, how to evaluate these, um, these studies. And, um, you know, that's the, the, I'd say the, you know, the, the big take home message with kind of that last article that I wrote was like, okay, the research article is correlational, but the problem is we're taking these headlines as if they are cause and effect. So it's not even, <laughs> there's a clear disconnect there, you know? So that's where we set up as humans. We make, we self-generate these rules and yada, yada. You could analyze all that from a, <laughs> you know, private event perspective and all those fun things. So. so you mentioned this earlier. I want to circle back to it. You talked about the Fitbit. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know you have written about the Apple Watch as well. Um, do you have any recommendations as it relates to one versus the other? Are there other things out there uh, in terms of being able to quantify what sort of device, some sort of wearable thing that would, you know, it's some, it's an area that I've mm -hmm. not really delved into. And I'm kind of yeah. asking both out of personal curiosity as well as just you sure. know, for, to share some of the observations that you've made elsewhere on this as well. Uh, yeah, I think this kind of relates to an earlier point of, um, I think accuracy of data is obviously very important, whether or not, um, whether or not you like the tool is important. Like, you know, an Apple watch 
might look a little better on your wrist, you know, than, than a Fitbit or whatever your personal preference for wrist flare is. But I think at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what the thing is. It, what matters is if you're using it and if you're actually getting to the data. That's the, that's the larger issue for me. It's like you got all these data, all this data, um, whether it's steps or heart rate or intensity minutes or you're tracking your food every day, you know, are you taking the time to go back and evaluate, you know, your past behavior? And is that going to um, change future behavior when, when looking at looking at those um, variables? Does that, does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, it's kind of a more or less a, a, a personal style and yeah. whatever works as long as you're using it and you're look, you're, yeah. you're interacting with the data, then, then mm -hmm. we're good. From yeah. That's some it's difficult because we can get, you know, even, you know, you always have to, I, I have to catch myself too of just like, okay, I got this heart rate data. What, I'm gonna, what am I going to do with it? And for me right now, I need to do a little more personal research on looking at heart rate and variability if I want to look at something like that, which, you know, I'm not a exercise physiologist, so I don't know all the ins and outs of that, but it's just like, okay, what, what's important to me right now? For me personally, Nick Green exercising is, you know, getting to the gym three to four times a week, working hard making sure my heart rate stays high, um, you know, or increasing my heart rate during an intense exercise and then having an overall good resting heart rate, you know, daily steps, uh, maybe not as important for me based on the intense exercise that I do do. Maybe for somebody else who doesn't do the intense exercise, maybe regular daily steps is more important. So, you know, it's, uh, are you using the data and then what data is most relevant to you and your fitness and wellness goals? Got it. Got it. So if someone came to you looking to, let's say that a specific goal, or at least a goal in a general category of say like weight loss or fat loss and things like that, mm. what, take us through kind of the course of, I don't say the intervention because you probably have to discuss, I guess the discovery, yeah. if you will, what sort of things would you, would you ask? Uh, what might be some low-hanging fruit you would pick and so forth? Specifically for, you said like weight loss? Yeah, because I have this friend, mm -hmm. you know, who's in his early 40s. And... <laughs> Sorry, I was going to see how long He's... I can keep it up. but I, he, I, likes to, I, he likes to go skiing. <laughs> that's, right, that's right. That's right. He likes, you know. Um, Anyway, so, you know, what, what, what would be some of the, you know, what, what would be the questions you would ask if someone engaged you uh, in a consultative yeah, sure. process? And, 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 you know, I'm just trying to figure out what the general starting point is. And I was joking mm -hmm. around earlier, okay, this is kind of a nakedly selfish, you know, <laughs> no question. But I, I think there's probably a lot of us who would, you know, find themselves, um, you know, in this situation. You know, it's, it's funny because I was talking with someone who is uh, in his early 30s the other day. And he was talking about how... And he's like, yeah, I got I to gotta drop a few pounds and stuff like that. And I said, yeah, well, you know, when I was, you know, at, at your particular age, you know, dropping 10 or 15 pounds was relatively easy to do. You know, just focus a little less on the, you know, focus a little bit more on the good food and less on the bad food, a little more movement and boom, you know, mm -hmm. you're back to wherever you want to be yeah. without too much effort. And I'm finding the older I get, the harder and harder it is to, to ah. kind of, you know, I think I think you just gave away your own answer there. You said without too much effort. I thought I would be there, but you know. <laughs> well, yeah. But go ahead. 
but anyway, I guess my, my, my general point is, is that there's, um, what, what would be the, uh, my general question, what would be some starting points or some, mm-hmm. some questions you would ask to, to kind of uh, right. go down this path of, of intervention? Sure. Yeah, so definitely for weight loss, altering diet, first thing I would tell people is I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a dietitian, so I'm not recommending um, any type of uh, food program, you know, that's South Beach diet, paleo diet, anything like that. What I'm better geared towards is helping you evaluate, you know, okay, I chose food plan A, is it working, you know, um, are we being compliant with it? Start there. So just, just out the gate, you know, just, just so it's clear, you know, you know, we all need to practice within our, our scope of, of expertise and, you know, designing meal plans and all that is, um, what, you know, uh, is, is out of my scope. Um, I can share the things that I kind of subscribe to, but by no means would I, would I recommend, um, uh, that to anybody. Um, but also, Another key thing here is that so I work with typically developing adults who can talk to me very well. And a lot of the times you can just ask them what their barriers are, what their problems are. And you can get a lot of information right from there. You know, it's like, hey, I want to lose um, 100 pounds. I want to lose 50 pounds. I'm like, okay, well, how did you get there? What do you need to change? And people will tell you, I drink too much wine. I have too much dessert. I have been eating like crap. And I'm like, okay, well, let's start logging some information and, you know, we'll go from there. That's kind of a, a basic uh, general approach. And, of course, I'll, I'll add the caveat that, you know, if you want to lose weight, you can't outrun a bad – you can't outrun or outlift a bad diet. So, you know, if you want to – losing weight, obviously exercise helps for other reasons. But, um, you know, it, it, you you somebody, you know, gained weight by, you know, just generally speaking by – probably eating the wrong stuff for a long time. So um, it's also going to take a long time to eat the right stuff, you know, when you are eating the right stuff to, um, to lose that weight too. So if I were to summarize then, it would be, I'm not going to design a food program for you. I help you, you know, stay, stay on track and I can recommend certain things, but that would be a choice that they would have to make. Um, you can't outrun, you know, a bad diet. And um, the last piece would be, I don't think I'd like these, but those are the general points. Yeah, of course, and obviously the reinforcers for a great diet and exercise routine are delayed. <laughs> That's <laughs> which right. Makes it uh, makes it a challenge, you know. If you look at the uh, the, the picnic analysis, you know, it, uh, we could figure out readily which quadrant that falls into. So yeah. Sure. Um, what so? What I want to do is uh, transition into some questions from the listeners. Uh, okay, this, great. This, this uh, generated quite a bit of interest when I mentioned you were going to be on the podcast. So, oh boy. Uh, let's start with a question from uh, Shubata. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she writes, uh, "It's not the starting of an exercise program that's hard; it's the keeping it going part that is daunting. And even if we avoid the all-or-nothing approach, it's easy to slack off and stay that way whenever life happens." Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any hacks to overcome <laughs> that? That would be great. Um, and I, I uh, second that because I, I will do that. I'll go for spurts of exercising um, and I, I, I can keep them up pretty long. But usually what happens is I'll go away to a conference or I'll go someone, you yeah. know, will come to town and, you know, I'll have company 
or some other thing. And uh, I find it hard to kind of get back on the, on the horse again, if you will. Yeah. Um, I think this kind of echoes an earlier point that I made that you have to think about something, you know, for, for the long haul. It's, it has to be, you know, in general, something that you're going to do no matter what. But then behaviorally speaking, we can always point to, I think, the environment and pick out certain examples of like, why did my motivation decrease or increase um, this week, this month? I came back, um, you know, post, you have the post-conference, you know, jet lag, hangover. Like, we get that. We've all been there. Um, I can just speak for myself where I had a series of a couple months where I was, my motivation changed as a function of certain environmental variables where a year ago, last April, all my workout buddies, like, graduated and moved away. So that was a huge reinforcer for me to be around those individuals. And so I didn't have that anymore, but I had to still, you know, call it self-talk following rules. I still, you know, had that commitment that I made to myself of, okay, this is something I'm going to, I need to exercise. It might not be as fun, but I'm still going to do it. That's just what, what you have to do. You know, given today's job characteristics, I'm a full-time student, so my job is not strenuous. So these are the things that I've told myself through the past four or five years that, I just have to do this to be a normal, healthy human being in today's society. So, you know, looking at environmental variables like, you know, your, your peers, um, that happened. I also had the wonderful experience of the gym I transitioned to in the fall. It actually shut down. So that was a huge, you know, another huge uh, uh, abolishing operation as far as going to that gym. Um, you know, you think about um, whether you are on your fitness um, you know, your fitness journey, if it's, if it's perfect right now, great. If it's, you know, if it's imperfect, well, either way, I think you just have to look at, you know, yesterday, did you do what you wanted to do health wise? Well, there are a lot of behaviors that occurred yesterday and today, and they've received lots of reinforcement for it. So you have to think about any type of fitness and health related behavior. What's the level of, you know, what's the learning history involved with it? How much reinforcement has occurred? Um, for that target behavior, whether it's eating a new healthier food item or traveling to this new gym. Yeah, that's, that's, those are big hurdles that we always have to tackle. And um, looking, the, looking to the environment for our motivation is, I think, is the, is the key there. I see. And she also writes, uh, more importantly for me as a parent of a child with autism, I would like to know uh, what do you suggest for our guys with ASD? Uh, they're vulnerable to owner overeating and moving less uh, you know, more than a typical population. Uh, and we sometimes ha rely on primary reinforcers, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. and I guess in general, she's trying to look to wean kiddos away from that sort of thing and uh, moving more and things like that. And that also dovetails into a question that Valerie sent in where she works with the special ed population in areas of movement. Mm -hmm. uh, and she would like to increase the interest in a variety of gross motor and object control activities so, mm -hmm. you know, uh, children and adolescents can, you know, learn healthy and fit ways or, you know, healthy ways to spend leisure time and things like that. So do, uh, ha have, you, have you at least come across any literature or have done any work in, um, uh, I know you said you work typically with typically developed individual neurotypical individuals have you yeah. worked on it um and with these any of these populations that shabbat and val are talking about uh, not specifically but i i think the uh, you know same principles 
um, for health and fitness and working with individuals, regardless of, of diagnosis, you know, apply the same. So um, it's, it's common that uh, iPads and computers and those type of activities, you know, even uh, uh, kids, kids and adults that might have stereotypic, uh, you know, reinforcers that could just be sitting there, you know, something like that. Um, uh, we have to, you'd have to take the initiative to program new activities and reinforcers, pair them like you would any other activity. Um, unfortunately, what, what has happened with the invention of the iPad and video games and all that is that is a very sedentary behavior. So yes, kids uh, are learning more, they're you know, following instructions better, they're asking for their iPad, things like that, as, as opposed to engaging in problem behavior for these activities. But um, I think as practitioners and parents and, you know, res you know, uh, responsible, you know, ethical behavior analysts, we have to look at, you know, what is it about those reinforcers now that could be putting our kids, families, you know, relatives at risk for these um, uh, potential long-term health risks, you know, with sitting and being inactive. So those are, you know, you know, common issues there. Um, I don't work with any um, uh, uh, children, you know, any kids or adults, um, particularly right now with developmental delays, but I do have a colleague in my program that um, is working on uh, physical activity um, and look, seeing how it affects problem behavior and stereotypy, but just you know, from a methodological perspective, it took a lot just to get um, one, one child to prefer um, jumping on a trampoline versus just sit, choosing the iPad. And so it just takes a lot of learning trials, just like anything else, uh, um, I would say. And, um, you know, being proactive in creating these um, uh, health-related pro-health behaviors, because if, if we don't teach them, I think that's the ultimate responsibility we have. Like, Yes, we need to teach them, you know, daily living skills and certain academic tests, but everybody also needs a health and fitness repertoire. And if we, if we don't teach it early, if at all, it's, it's not going to happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, cool. So Celia uh, asks, uh, she, well, first she wants to say thank you for the important work that you're doing. Um, oh, thank you, Celia. Is it C Cecilia? Celia. Or Celia. We often do a much better job at caring and teaching learners than self-care. Uh, as a working mom, I often find challenging competing contingencies to engage in self-care behaviors. For me, it might be the MO. The MO for attending a webinar might be higher than running. Um, All right. Can you provide some strategies for increasing mm -hmm. this MO? Um, yeah, that, that, that's just a, a battle we all face. Um, being, you know, employees in this modern workforce that we all work in, in knowledge, knowledge jobs, um, where we're at a computer all day, or we're working with early learners or have administrative tasks that, um, yeah, we have to, I think, just rearrange your environment, you know, in ways that will prompt and create more physical activity. So, you know, in the short term, look at the antecedents, like, you know, text message reminders, alarm clocks, you know, things like that, posters, put a job aid on your computer, you know, if you're looking for short-term tips here, like all kinds of things like that. Um, then also on the consequence side, think about how you can rearrange certain activities um, in a way that promotes activity. Like, can you, I'm on 
my phone right now talking to Matt on this podcast, and he can see me, if you can verify with me, Matt, that I am standing and walking around while on the phone. So absolutely. Um, while you can um, listen to a webinar, can you put it on your phone and also walk and listen? Um, I do that all the time. Um, depending on the, your, the, the nature of your, um, your job, there are certain environmental variables that can be working against you. And this has been you know, really informed by my own research, you know, when working with sedentary office workers is that you could be chained to the front desk. You can't leave, right? You have to be there for three hours, but can you get up and move every 30, 45, 60 minutes to, um, get the blood flowing? Just as long as you're doing something, it still create, you know, at the end of the day, you still have to create some type of, you know, intervention that eventually you will want to fade out. So then, you know, the, your, your health behaviors contact the natural reinforcers of moving and, and doing other things. And just parenthetically, uh, I just want to remind everyone that you, you did an interview with uh, ABA Inside Track on that particular yes. study. So I'll link to that mm -hmm. in the show notes as well. Oh, think, great. Uh, Thanks. Robert Perry Cruz uh, and you had a, had a fun conversation about that if a uh, memory serves. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, For sure. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so Erica uh, writes in, uh, I'm, so, I'm so excited you're interviewing Nick. Um, see, I, Hi, told you, I told you your parents is generating interest. Um, <laughs> Man. Uh, my question is, how would he suggest people start off if they want to get into this branch of behavior analysis? Yeah. Um, so this kind of fits into my general talk at the Next Gen Conference in Miami where you just have to, I mean, if you want to be in health and fitness, like you just have to become, you know, a gold medalist. This is kind of a good timing with the winter Olympics just ending, ending, but that was my metaphor. Like you just need to be a gold medalist in like your one thing. Like I, like for me, um, I am the office sitting workplace moving behavior analyst guy, right? That, that would be kind of my, my loose title. If you want to, you know, um, be the nutrition with kids expert, then, you know, be that person. So how you get started is, you know, it could be a variety of things. It could be consuming blogs and podcasts related to that topic. It could be reading library books. I mean, these are all the basics, but just, you know, I think the tricky thing is what I've, which I've kind of uh, guided and mentored a lot of people out there because I'm not the only behavior analyst that's interested in health and fitness. And um, those that commented uh, or gave questions for the show, they're not the only ones either. But what, what the thing, like, what we have to remind ourselves of, I think, is is like we have to narrow our scope. So we have to figure out like how do we want to help people in what way, what flavor of health and fitness, and then you you know of course go about your due diligence and you know check check in the the research, um, look at the behavioral literature, see what's out there. There's plenty out there, um, and then you have to kind of pick your thing, and then you have to study all those fun terms. Like I read all about metabolism and lipids and triglycerides and all that just to get to the point where I can just understand like one research article from, you know, cancer research or the heart journals or things like that. So it's, I know that was kind of a, a loaded answer, loaded answer in there, but um, you just have to, um, if you want to get started in it, you just have to, you know, study hard, um, pick your, pick your focus area and, um, you know, get after it. Yeah, I, th I think the uh, the idea of serving a need in a specific niche area is, is well taken. You know, mm -hmm. you know, if you can identify where people are having trouble, mm -hmm. 
and then certainly specialized in solving that problem, then, you know, that's probably going to be. Yeah. Area. And I think ultimately too, it's going to take some level of, I don't know, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, entrepreneurism, you know, yeah. because there's probably, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess there's not a lot of, there's not going to be a lot of salaried positions. You know, oh, no. especially yeah, commensurate the, with the you know how BCBAs are, are typically compensated. Sure, yeah, uh, yeah. For, for this sort of thing, so you almost have to kind of make your own yep. job, if you will. It might be something that you need to side hustle for a little while until you yeah, generate. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's exactly right. Where um, like there's no BCBA health and fitness guru job that's just waiting for me once I graduate. It's you have to carve it out along the way. And I think what you talked about earlier about problem solving and entrepreneurship, those are, that's exactly what, what, what's, what kind of my view is and what I've come to think about in the past couple months is like, you know, I, you know, if you back up the scope a little bit, I, I consider myself a behavior analyst, but really at the end of the day, when I'm talking to the rest of the world, I'm just a problem solver. That's what I'm doing. And the way that I solve problems is by using behavioral science. And what do I do with that? I help people, you know, reach their health and fitness goals, whether it be sports performance or helping them, you know, modify the diet or something like that. And I just have the toolbox of, you know, behavior analysis, you know, applied behavior analysis to say, okay, this is the problem. This is so I'm going to help you and we'll just go from there. But yeah, it, it takes a lot to, you know, get to that point because you want to say, okay, I draw the line in the sand here where I can help you. This is my scope or I've, I've read enough and now this is my scope, you know, things like that. So um, it's all about problem solving, I think. Awesome. Okay, last question here. Uh, a non-fitness question, I think, uh, oh. but yeah, interesting nonetheless, and I think it's probably something you can help out with. So, uh, Kenny writes, I have many questions about procrastination. <laughs> Kenny, if it helps, I'm an expert in procrastination, um, not necessarily on the solving side of it, but uh, anyway, I digress. Uh, in fact, uh, that is what I am doing right now. <laughs> so Kenny's, <laughs> Kenny's procrastinating by, you know, responding to this uh, call for questions. That's uh, well done. Well, you, Kenny, I always recommend procrastinating with things related to the Behavioral Observations podcast. So anyway, uh, I should be doing classwork for my BCABA. Anyway, I have tried study aid apps and timers and rewarding myself when I stay on task. Uh, parent, uh, in parentheses, he puts, where, which is rare, and I am still struggling. I, even, I have even taken frequency data on myself for the number of times I am distracted in the study session. I've yet to come up with a strategy. Is this Nick? Is this something Nick could address? <laughs> this is completely unfitness related. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, I, so, I know you. I know. You, well, you said you're a problem solver. You know. So, right. There uh, we so, go. So I thought asking you to fix his problems. You know, fix all his procrastination problems. Procrastination problems based on a uh, yeah. you know, a, a four sentence uh, email. But uh, you, what, how would you how would you conceptualize this this case, if you will? <laughs> Oh boy. Um, I would say maybe let's, let's look at the personal calendar, see how your day is divided up. Um, maybe if you throw some pre-Mac principles in there of, okay, if, if every day we spend an hour on social media, maybe only do that after you get your studying in that day, you know, spread the, spread the, uh, spread the study time out all the time. Um, it, this isn't, you know, this isn't the best advice, but you know, studying, you just have to do it. At, at first, when you started reading the question, I thought you were going to talk about like a deadline for a project or something where it's like, well, sometimes procrastination is good. So you have more ideas and things like that. Um, 
but for general study gate, you know, study um, aids. Um, yeah, I mean, let's. <laughs> well, how about this? I know, I know, uh, you and I both are, uh, you know, Tim Ferriss listeners, and he always often talks about morning routines and things like that. Yeah. In fact, I think that's something that you've written about as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I would imagine maybe incorporating something like that, in, you know, into his morning routine, so it just becomes part of. Sure. You know, shortly after getting out of bed and brushing your teeth, and maybe going, you know. Yeah, I like to get a lot of my more academic hard thinking, reading and writing done earlier in the day. Um, so I'm fresher to go. Um, so then you're not thinking about it and dwelling on it all day, you know, depending on what your work schedule is. Um, but for me, that's helped out a lot. I've done that for a couple of years now where I get up, I do my reading and writing, you know, like the serious stuff first thing in the morning. Um, and then, you know, because the day happens, you have emails and calls to attend to, then, you know, your best, your best study time um, and effort might not be at the end of a long day. You know, there are some days we have to do some things under fatigue and all that. But, um, yeah, just think about, um, when you, I think when you perform the best, like when are, when are you at your best and most alert and ready to go, then block that time off, I suppose. Yeah. And, and conversely, when are you least productive, you know, and if, right. like you said, if it's going to be at the end of the long day, then, you know, getting mm -hmm. that in. Yeah, sometimes you, to, yeah, you have to change change the environment significantly too. Like during finals week, I only wrote my finals questions as a take home final at a different part of the library. So it was like a specific ritual or routine or habit. So, you know, the new environment that I went in didn't have a previous history of checking timers and procrastinating or looking at social media or things like that. So it's, um, you know, going into a, you know, a new physical environment without any history with those things, I think could be good because then if you get some things done without leaving, then you'll have a, a new history established with, I study on the second floor of the library and things are good. Yeah. You know, I've, I've heard of apps that will like disable your email and Facebook and you know, your yeah. social media channels and things like that. Right. So you could just kind of like, you know, for, for, for some period of time, you can, once they're set, you can't alter them and, and whatnot. Right. I guess it just depends on the nature of the procrastination. I think also just to give the procrastinator some hope out there that I've spent a lot of time with productivity tools and everything, and you can mess around with all that. But I think how it ties to, you know, the Fitbits and Apple Watches, like any any of the systems, they will work. Just Just, just pick one thing and just go with it. And it's just, you know... If you're a procrastinator, that means you don't have a long history of getting things done in an orderly fashion and just, you know, give yourself a break that you're not going to be perfect over the next week, month. It's going to take a long time. And, um, you know, I never got up early and wrote in the morning and read in the morning. It just took a long time before I physically was getting up earlier and then I displaced my writing time to earlier in the day because of other things. So, um yeah, I think sometimes people are too hard on themselves. They're like, oh, I failed. I'm off task. I'm doing this. I'm just like, no, just it's just going to take a long time, longer than you think it is. And then eventually, you know, the tools that you're using, um, they're going to be kind of artificial in the sense that they didn't, you know, they need to be faded out, right? If these are interventions that you want us, you know, people want to change their behavior, I think the goal is independent. So we need to think about fading those things out, you know? Sure. All right. Cool. Cool. I think we've covered quite a bit of ground here, Nick, and uh, I'm sure yeah, we'll get I a lot so. of 
a lot of questions based on our conversation today. So uh, it'll be fun to hear the feedback that comes in uh, from our episode here today. So uh, well, I'd like to close with the question that I always close with. And okay. uh, uh, what advice do you have for a newly minted BCBA? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say because I'm more in this um, uncharted territory trying to expand behavior analysis world of entrepreneurship and doing your own thing that, um, you know, the world needs more behavior analysts practicing in other areas. So if you're just, you know, getting just newly certified and you're, or you're new to the field, um, maybe this is the first behavioral podcast you ever heard before that there's plenty of opportunity out there to work in. Um, just work hard at the one thing that you're going to be really good at and solve, you know, problems for people and the rest will take care of itself. All right, cool. Nick, thanks for joining me today. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back down the road and to talk more about this topic that, uh, that people are interested in. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. I, I enjoyed being on and um, I look forward to all the comments and questions that come after. All right. And just to uh, remind everyone, they can find you at behaviorfit.com, right? Yes, correct. And, and I'm... Yeah, and I'm most active like on Facebook and Instagram, you know, at Behavior Fit. So Google it, you'll the find me. Behavior Fit's the kind of consistent social media handle. That is the one. All right, yeah. So, yeah, I've seen you certainly on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook and elsewhere. So, yeah, cool. And we'll have those links in the show notes as I've mentioned previously. So, awesome. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, Nick. Take care. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Behavioral Observations Podcast with Matt Sicoria. You can find Matt's notes on this episode at www.behavioralobservations.com. We also invite you to stay connected with us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash behavioral observations and on Twitter at Behavior Podcast. everyone. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Behavioral Observations podcast. For more information, go to behavioralobservations.com, session 47, and I've got links for all sorts of things that we talked about there. And you can go to behaviorfit.com to check out Nick's website. And uh, again, big thanks to Chartlytics for sponsoring the show. And don't forget to save the date, May 16th, 2018, where Adrian Fitzer and I will be essentially hosting Rich Brooks to talk about the bare essentials of digital marketing. I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, in the meantime, um, I will see you later, and uh, we'll see you, I guess, in it's uh, session 48 will be coming up next. So take care. Bye.